Hi, this is Adrian Paul, and you're listening to Highlander Rewatched. Hello, this is BT Edney. I played Heather in the original Highlander film, and you are watching Highlander Rewatched. This is Andy Armstrong. I was the second unit director, directing the action units in New York on the original Highlander, and you're listening to Highlander Rewatched. Hi, this is Anthony Blanches, also known as the Davio Consoli from the Wednesday episode of Highlander, and you are listening to Highlander Rewatched. Hi, I'm Elizabeth Grayson. I played Amanda on Highland of the Series and the spin-off called Highland of the Raven, and you are listening to Highlander Rewatch. Everybody involved with Highlander has stories, and they're great, great stories. This is John Mosby, the author of Fearful Symmetry, the essential guide to all things Highlander, and you're listening to Highlander Rewatched. This is Ken Gord, producer of the Highlander series, and you are listening to the podcast Highlander Rewatched. Hey, this is Stan Kirsch. I played Richie Ryan on Highlander, and you are listening to Highlander Rewatched. This is Clay Boris, director of Highlander, the TV series, and you're listening to Highlander Rewatched. This is Gillian Horvath. I helped write Highlander Endgame and Highlander, the series, and you're listening to Highlander Rewatch. This is Martin Neufeld. I played Lieutenant John Stan in Highlander 3, The Final Dimension, and you're listening to Highlander Rewatched. Hi, this is Andy Morahan. I'm the director of Highlander 3, The Final Dimension, and you are listening to Highlander Rewatched. Welcome to Highlander Rewatch, the podcast where each and every week we talk about another facet of the Highlander universe. I'm one of your hosts, Keith, and today I'm not joined by my co-hosts, Kyle and Eamon, because we are bringing you a very special Chronicle episode. Our Chronicle series goes in-depth with the people who have brought Highlander to life on both the large and small screen. We talk to the actors, writers, producers, and sometimes directors. Today, we have the pleasure to sit down with an individual who was at the center of the music video revolution of the 1980s, going on to win multiple awards for his work in the genre, before being tapped to helm the third chapter in the franchise we all know and love. Please welcome to the show, director of Highlander 3, The Final Dimension, Andy Morahan. Welcome, Andy. Hi, how you doing? Very good. Thanks so much for sitting down with us and talking. Uh, so I thought uh, for today's show we could talk about kind of your early career, how you got involved in Highlander 3 and any stories you have for the shoot. And then, uh, you know, post Highlander 3, what you've been up to and projects uh, our fans can look for. Um, sound good? Okay, sounds good. Absolutely. So your, your father was a director, correct? Was that, did you want to follow in his footsteps? Dad was a TV and theater director. Okay. And... I just knew, I went to art college in St. Martin's in London in the, um, the late, uh, early 80s, and, um, and I found out that I, you know, I wanted to paint and I wanted to do design and all that kind of stuff, and I, but I found out I kind of knew more about film than anything else that I knew about, if you know what I mean. So it kind of, I kind of grew up with it. So it kind of was a natural progression to do more kind of film studies when I was at college, and then I came out of college in Soho, and um, so it was kind of well-placed for the um, kind of music video revolution of the, uh, the mid to late 80s where MTV expanded into Europe and, and stuff like that. So um, that's kind of how 
I got into making music videos, it wasn't a deliberate, I want to be a director like my dad or anything. And in fact, our kind of stuff is completely different. But um, right. yeah, and I grew up with a lot of film. Great. How, how did you exactly did you get like your first music video gig? Well, first, I played in a, a band at college at St. Martin's called Havana Let's Go, which was a bit like Madness with Fruit. It was a Latin <laughs> band. <laughs> it was a, it was a Latin band, and uh, we got signed to Polydor, and we had a couple of singles out, and um, we couldn't afford some of the big directors like Tim Pope and stuff at the time, and um, or Steve Barron, so I'd made a couple of things at college, so I, I made a, a, our first couple of videos, and then the band split up soon after I left college, and as I say, it was kind of the right time, you know, a couple of things on my reel and then that you know in those days you could pretty much walk into a record company and say i'm a music video director right because i guess nobody else was doing that right well there were a few but there was their first generation the people like russell mulcahy did the first highlander film first two highlander films and there was that kind of first generation and we were definitely the kind of second wave second or third wave of of directors that came through Wow, so who are some of your favorite artists to work with? I noticed you, you work a lot with George Michael and Wham. Yeah, I did, yeah. Yeah, how, how was that experience? Oh, it's pretty amazing. I mean, I, I kind of cut my teeth on, you know, pop videos as they were in, in the UK at that period. And But my love of music has, has always extended into the kind of heavier metal end. So I kind of, as, as George started to do, George Michael started to do well in America with Faith and Father Figure and those kind of, you know, real big MTV hits Mm -hmm. and stuff that I actually could then talk to people about, actually, I really want to do heavy rock and roll, (laughs) which is how I ended up doing more, you know, Guns N' Roses, Van Halen, you know, Aerosmith, all that kind of stuff. So I kind of manipulated my career towards what my real love of music was. Right. (laughs) So is Guns N' Roses your favorite metal band then, safe to say? Well, it's one of them, yeah, definitely. I mean, I I love the fact, even though they're a huge stadium band, that I think Slash said to me once that they're actually a punk band that rather play it, you know, three o'clock in the morning, you know, in the rainbow, you know what right. I mean, uh, to, to an audience of 200 people. So, yeah. you know, and I kind of like that. I, to me, even though they were a big, big metal band as such, or, you know, they were actually kind of like out of the punk school, really. Right. Your videos display how big they are. I mean, with the helicopter shots, like the, the videos you do for Guns N' Roses are definitely larger than life, it would seem. Yeah, they are, and that's kind of what I'm leading to with this, you know, where I'm going with that is that that's what kind of really led to me, you know, getting involved in the Highlander franchise was that kind of scale of um, videos I was doing for Guns N' Roses just before. So let's talk about how you got into Highlander 3 then. So did the producers approach you? Yeah, they did. Yeah, they'd seen, you know, Don't Cry, November Rain, Estranged, all the kind of big videos I'd done. You know, I was doing pretty big videos in America at the time then. And because Russell had kind of set the benchmark with Highlander 1 and 2 and, you know, and coming from that, you know, big music video world, I guess I was the go-to guy at that point, you know, in, in terms of someone who had that kind of scale and also that kind of sensibility to, to the Highlander franchise. Right. Were you familiar with the Highlander franchise prior to that? Oh, yeah, I loved it. Oh, great. Did you even love yeah, Highlander yeah. 2, the often maligned sequel? No, I wasn't the biggest fan, <laughs> the, the Optimaline sequel, and in fact, I had very clear instructions from the producers to to remake Highlander One in a sense. Right. You know what I mean? You know, you know the, the first film is brilliant, and it's still brilliant, and they really wanted me to bring some of you know those elements of 
you know, back to the franchise because it just kind of went off kilter a little bit, went too futurist, I think. What was the transition like moving from doing short videos to a feature length film? Was that nerve wracking? Was it a were you, were you prepared because of the short videos? I know Russell McKay says doing kind of fast and quick loose shoots for music videos was a, a good thing for him. No, it was. I mean, I was used to doing things on a big scale. Obviously not, you know, for seven or eight weeks or whatever. That's a completely different ball game. And, and you know, but you learn pretty fast in that respect. But I was used to doing kind of big set pieces and how to construct those and design those and work with my DP and production design people and production people and stuff like that. I mean, the biggest difference for me was by the time all the deals were done and the money was through and there was a slight delay and you know how the because even though it's a big franchise it was it wasn't a studio picture it was a big independent picture still right. and by the time the money came through we did like a week's shooting before christmas and then we had to you know down tools for two weeks and let the um, christmas you know period expire and then come back in january and carry on and that for me was the hardest thing because two things you know you get into a rhythm after a week of a film and uh, even if you're slightly behind or you know, you're never ahead but but to have two weeks off while you kind of stew about what you could have done better or what you're going to do and and now you're in Montreal and the weather's changing and it's it's minus five one day and minus ten the next day and minus fifteen the following day that was the scariest thing, it was kind of the logistics of how we shot it you know, December into January and February and and the weather we encountered in Montreal So were you involved in any of the pre-production work? Did you have a say into what the final script ended up being like or casting or any of those decisions yeah i mean it was quite fluid in that respect i mean yes i was very involved in everything and we didn't know you know whether we were going to get deborah or we were going to get somebody else so there was that going on and um the bad guy going to be mario or not or you know that kind of stuff and do you remember some of the other people it might have been off the top of my head, I don't. No, it's but, fine. <laughs> um, again, I was trying a bit like in the first one where, you know, Russell had used Queen to do some music. I was trying to get Guns N' Roses to do some music, but they'd just come off their big Use Your Illusion tour and weren't planning to go back in the studio and they were fracturing themselves. <laughs> so <laughs> it, was, it was a pretty tough thing to bring it all together. I'm sure. And um, being in Montreal as well, our talent pool for what I call small parts was a lot of French canadian speakers which in hindsight i think we should have cast the net out a little bit because you suddenly got a movie full of you know north american speakers and then french canadian speakers and to me i mean i'm sure most people don't notice but i, I notice if you know what i mean so, right yeah. was it difficult to have shooting in so many locations because you were shooting in montreal you were also shooting in morocco and in scotland right <laughs> Yeah, but those the, the Morocco, Paris. We did Morocco, Paris, and and Scotland. That was all at the end of the initial shoot. The main shoot, you know, the the big shoot and all the you know the fights and interiors and all that kind of stuff were mainly done in Montreal. Oh wow! And it was a great place to shoot. Don't get me wrong, I, lo- I loved shooting there. It was just damn cold, man. <laughs> right. <laughs> and um, and that and you know sometimes we were doing like exterior shots at night. 
I mean, I've never seen cameras freeze up or, you know, people freeze up as badly <laughs> as that. And, and it's one of those things when you're out, you know, we even did that stuff of the, you know, flashbacks to Japan and all that. That was all done in Canada in the snow and stuff. And it was great fun. Don't get me wrong. It right. was just cold, really cold. <laughs> Since this was an international production, we've heard that there's kind of a lot of Cooks in the kitchen, as it were. Producers from every country had their own kind of mindset on what this movie should be. Was that difficult to work with? And if you had to do the movie 100%, this is your film, what would be different? Yeah, I mean, you know, Montreal, like Toronto and Vancouver, I mean, it's a, it's a very good production center for, for film. So I have no problem there. You know, they're all bilingual. The, the, the you know, com- you know, communication was not a problem. As I say, it was it was more a logistic thing in terms of you know the weather as much as anything. Um, you know, and I got to you know there were certain thing you know certain things like Scotland and Morocco and and stuff which we we couldn't shoot there. But you know they let me shoot in those places and. You know, we did the kind of French Revolution thing. Actually, did it in Paris and stuff like that. So that was cool. I mean, given that I had a much tighter budget than the first two, and the fact that it, you know, we needed good production centre where I could get most things done was, you know, Montreal was a great place to do it. I wasn't expecting to spend the next six months after that doing post production there. I, I thought we were going <laughs> to be either doing it in London or you know whatever but that's fine i mean yeah it it was just um you get a bit stir crazy if you're in the same place the whole time but uh, but no no it was, you know i i can't really fault you know in terms of production and 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 what that brought to it and crew were great and you know i brought some hod's in a couple of hod's in but yeah it's pretty good highlander 3 has been sadly the, the one highlander film that hasn't gotten like a big special edition release on dvd or blu-ray uh so there's not a lot of like behind the scenes stories or cut footage is there any scenes you remember from the movie or the script that were cut that you wish were in the movie or were really interesting no, not not really. I mean, if anything, there was scenes that could have been longer or bigger or whatever. And so it was probably, I remember we had a cut like five, six, seven minutes out of it to, to bring it to a length that the distributors wanted. And there was when we were delivering to Dimension, which was uh, Bob Weinstein. Right. <laughs> it's a company. Um, they wanted more special effects. So I did go and to LA and, and shoot some additional footage and, and do some extra effects stuff for the Europe, kind of North American market and stuff like that. I mean, I don't know why it hasn't got a big, you know, a bigger kind of DVD, you know, Blu-ray kind of release on it. I mean, it's was with, you know, it's part of that catalogue. So, you know, and it, yeah. it, it, did, it did quite well at the box office. I mean, so I don't, I don't see why. And it wasn't the worst film out of the lot. No, so. definitely. <laughs> no, it's good. I, I heard from... Um, Christoph Lambert recently, and he was saying, you know, because they did they did the TV series pretty quickly afterwards, and uh, but of course TV series now it would be now would be a much better time to kind of do it because you know everyone's kind of expectation of big TV now in terms of you know Game of Thrones and and someone did an Outlander thing and stuff like that, and it, it actually would be better. To, I think they should be looking at doing something with it now because I think it'd be huge. Definitely, yeah. Absolutely um, huge. Are there any like interesting behind-the-scenes stories you can uh, let our fans know about? That's a difficult one, really, because <laughs> it's, a, it's a while back. Um, 
nothing about amusing, but we were doing a fight scene between Christopher, Christopher Lambert and um, Mary Van Peebles. I think Mario was a little bit strong, uh, over-aggressive on a couple of moves, and Christopher wasn't happy because he, <laughs> he bashed his nose, and, and Mario was very, very apologetic, and then, and then slammed him in the wall again, and it was like, oh, my God, and we had to kind of... Uh, calm them down and give them 10 minutes off. But, I mean, it was an accident, but it was quite amusing to us watching it. I don't think Christopher found it particularly <laughs> um, And then there was things like where, you know, when we're shooting the horses and stuff in the snow for the Japan thing and our skidoos broke down and our equipment broke down and we virtually had to be rescued from some kind of obscure kind of... Oh, wow you know, place out, you know, two miles outside Montreal and the weather was coming in and stuff like that. So, you know, it was all, it was like an adventure. Yeah. It was pretty much an adventure. And then when we were in Scotland, we were flying through hailstorms in a helicopter looking for locations. And that is a bit like being shot at by a machine gun and, and stuff like that. There was, you know, tons of kind of stories like that on the production, which were fun, you know, Right. A little scary on occasions, but adventurous, and I kind of see it kind of suited the mood of, of of making those films anyway. You know, if it didn't feel like an adventure, it wouldn't have felt like you're making a proper Highlander movie. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, yeah. There was always one rumor we heard that there were these two drug dealers that were cast in the movie that planned a kidnapping of Mario Van Peebles. Is that true? <laughs> I've never heard that. Really? Oh, maybe that's just like fake news, as they say on the internet. I've never, ever heard that. Wow. We'll have to dig deeper and see if that's true. But for now, I guess it's... uh... Well, I didn't cast any drug dealers, I can tell you. (laughs) Yeah, there's this crazy rumor on the internet that uh, I guess they were looking for extras to be in one of the scenes. And there were these two guys that like had like a punk rock look to them. And they were, I guess, caught doing meth on the set and plotting to drive away with Mario's trailer with him in it and hold him for ransom, (laughs) which seems insane. That's fantastic. Yeah, no, I like to I, I like to believe it's true just because it's a crazy story. It's not one I've heard of or, <laughs> I, or can corroborate or confirm. You know, it, it was like any you know biggish movie production. I mean, you know, some days were fantastic, some days were long and fraught, and you know, some days were you know as I said before, you know, cold as hell. So um, you know, once you got through the shoot of that movie, we felt like we had something pretty cool in the sense that you know that. That we could kind of restore the franchise in terms of, you know, the the kind of scale, the music, the Scottish thing, the you know, the the quick. I'm very proud of the quickenings in Highlander Three. I think, given the time they were made and the effects available to us, I think they're pretty pretty amazing. You know, pretty they look great still. So, yeah. um, especially the one in the laundry room and stuff like that. Yeah, the laundry room is a, a fun scene. Yeah, and we we all love the montage where he's rebuilding his sword. That has such like a great epic cinematic scope to it. Which it is does, great. it does, and that's that's one of my proudest moments in that because you know, God knows I love a good montage when it comes to music videos, <laughs> and uh, that kind of played right into my hand. And you know, in terms of Scotland and forging and sword and kind of building up, and you know, that's the, probably the best kind of you know narrative of the whole movie, which I adore. I still adore it. It's great, and then then. And then with that kind of, you know, sort of McKenna um, soundtrack and stuff like that, um, it just worked really well. It has a real Celtic feel to it. Definitely. 
Uh, so since you said you were a fan of Highlander 1 and, of course, knew of Highlander 2, I don't know if I can say you're a fan, but uh, <laughs> what do you think it is about the Highlander mythology that has made it last? Now we're over 30 years since the very first movie came out. What do you think that makes it so special? And what does it mean to you? The conflict of immortality is always a great kind of, you know, story point in in the sense that, you know, a premise for a story, you know, because that's why he always loses the woman he loves or, you know, the people he loves or, or whatever, you know. You, you know, it's a fabulous idea to feel you could be immortal, you know, as long as, as long as you're the only one, as it were. But actually there's a curse of immortality, which is... You know, you can never really have true fulfillment in that respect. And um, so that's one thing. I think that's a really great premise for uh, any movie. And it's kind of, you know, it's a, an age-old kind of thing. You know, it's Dorian Gray or, you know, everyone's kind of searching for some, kind of, in, you know, in literature in the past, in mythology, people looking for some kind of immortality or, you know, whatever. So I think that's one of the reasons. And the other is I think it unlocks a key that can span different eras different generations different centuries different you know backdrops and all that so it kind of has an inbuilt kind of device of of being able to take you anywhere you want and and that you know and that's interesting because it's like time travel in that respect right so um so without being and i think that's one of the reasons second one wasn't as cool because you know, the, the, in a way, the history and the past seems to work better than the future with, with that franchise. Do you see what I mean? So yeah. w- once you play with, you know, kind of the past and different centuries and, you know, the kind of ancestry and the, the mythology of it, it works really, really well. I think the trouble with futurism is, you know, dystopian futurism is something that other franchises probably do better. Yeah, definitely. I think, yeah, there's a lack of romance, I think, in the, the second movie, which is part of that, the past, I think. So, post-Highlander 3, we've been looking at, you know, your IMDb. One thing that stuck out to me, really, interestingly, is that you were doing a lot of national opera films recently. Yeah, well, yeah, well, <laughs> I had a kind of um, redemptive moment where... I was asked to do, get involved with the English National Opera and suddenly realised that actually opera was rock and roll from the Middle Ages, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it was a whole kind of Pandora's box that unlocked for me, you know, all, all this, you know, stuff. Again, a bit, it's a bit like a Highlander thing, you know, from the past and music and all that kind of combination of kind of skill sets that I'd learned over the years and stuff like that. So I've been doing that, and I've j- but I've just made my own small independent film called Boogeyman, which is nothing like Highlander. It's a, a story about a 18-year-old British Indian boy who's obsessed with Saturday Night Fever in the 70s and disco music. So I've done a little kind of small nod to Bollywood kind of film, but set in London, contemporary film set in London. Yeah, I was I was um, looking that movie up too. How did that movie, that project come about? That looked really interesting. It was loosely based on a friend of mine, and I wanted to do a small film that I... You know, because I've always been a bit of a gun for hire for stuff, and and I wanted to do something that was kind of closer to 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 you know me and and, and generating a, a film idea and stuff like that. And it was loosely based on a friend of mine, India British Indian guy who lost his father when he was young, and he kind of rediscovered him through his records and clothes and stuff like that. So. And I've always loved Bollywood, and you know, God knows as well as the uh, heavy metal, I've always had a you know guilty pleasure for you know glitzy disco music. Right. 
Um, and I just thought it was a great combination, basically. So I, I had the idea, and I got a co-writer, and I kind of worked on the story and the characters. He worked on the dialogue. And then we did, like, a dummy trailer for it and got a lot of interest in it, you know, raised the money. And we a small budget and, um, and made it last year, finished it end of last year. And we're just doing festivals at the moment. So Great. Well, we'll keep people uh, posted on where they can find that in the future when it gets uh, a wider range. Yeah, I can... Yeah, I can send you a link and stuff and a bit more st- stuff about it. But um, yeah, that's what I've been. I'm doing now. I mean, after after Highlander, I also did about ten years of back to back kind of commercials and stuff. And you know, that was really fun to do. What, and, what um, kind of work do you prefer? The music videos, commercial work, or features? I love music and features. The commercials. It depends what kind of commercials there are. I mean, I was lucky enough to do some great little commercials you know like guest jeans with harry dean stanton and juliet lewis and stuff like that and you know commercials if 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 they're the right ones and they're like little mini films and you know almost cinematically narrative they're fun if they're just you know blind selling cars and stuff i'm not that interested but uh, maybe i shouldn't say that but um (laughs) but but um you know that was a kind of you know Means to end. I mean, I found Highlander quite Highlander three quite. It took a lot out of me, and I had a couple of small kids, and and I kind of didn't really want to delve back into the world of movies for quite a while because I just it, it just took me for over a year and a half all over the world at a time when you know it was difficult to keep moving the family around. So, Definitely. so I've come back to films kind of later in my career because you know they've all grown up and left the stable, as they say. So. Mm-hmm. um so no, I'm in a good place to do that. I mean, I've got, obviously got a lot of experience and I've done a lot of different things. And now I want to kind of make the films I want to make. So that's where I am right now. Awesome. Do you have a favorite music video that you've done? If you had to pick one of the dozens and dozens you've done. I've got a few that are my favorite for different reasons. Sure. Um, what are your top three then? My November Rain is definitely there. Yeah. Faith, Faith is definitely there. And then the, actually the live the performance one I did with Michael Jackson and Slash is one of my favorite. Oh, I yeah. just I just think the pair of them in that video are just insanely brilliant. And I know it's a performance video, but it just captures the pair of them in the best way and it still looks fresh today. So those will be my top three. Awesome. Well, thank you, Andy, for joining us. And we always ask this question of all our guests um, before we let you go. Would you ever want to be an immortal? And if you were immortal, what would you do? What would your job be? (laughs) I don't know. That's a difficult one. I don't think I'd want to be immortal. No, <laughs> having <laughs> lived, you know, I think it's a great idea. But I mean, it, there is a curse of immortality, which is it never ends. Um, and what would I be? I'd probably be the same as I am now. Yeah. Film, f- film content director. You know, involved with music. I love doing my job. I'm still pinching myself. I get paid to do what I love doing. So um, I've been very lucky in that respect. Yeah, most people don't get to say that. So that's amazing. Yeah, it is. Awesome. Well, thank you, Andy, for joining us. And it was really great to talk about Highlander 3 and walk down memory lane, as it were. And uh, No, it was fun. Is there anything else in the pipeline? Or is there? Uh, are you on Twitter or anything that people can follow you if they want to keep track of what your upcoming projects are? I'm on Instagram as Andy Morahan. I'm on Facebook as Andy Morahan. So, um I try and avoid Twitter, um, <laughs> but but they can follow me in there. I've got a couple of websites, find, easy enough to find me there. Yes, I'm working on a project called Wild Boys, funny enough, which is about the early days of music videos. Oh, it's really? Like, yeah, it's a um, 
it's a bit like a almost famous type story. It's like a, a guy who kind of starts off as a as a runner, starts writing ideas for music videos, and then everything goes tits up. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds great. That's awesome. Yeah, it's really fun, and so we're hoping to, to finance that and start production of that later this year. Brilliant. Awesome, Andy. Well, thanks again for joining us, and uh, okay, we'll talk to you later. All right, bye. All right, bye now. Andy, there's one thing that's been on all our minds, all the fans' minds, since probably this movie came out in 1995. What was it like to go to a final dimension? Well, it it, it was like any... um, um, Uh, Andy, you there? Eh? Nothing? Nothing, Andy? Cold as hell.